children's catechism class was uh, learning the Apostles' Creed. That is uh, a creed of the church uh, from many, many years gone by, uh, stating what we believe. And uh, so this class uh, was uh, was learning the Apostles' Creed, and the first one uh, was reciting uh, their little, each one had a sentence to recite, and the first one said, the beginning, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then the next child stood up and said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And then there was a pause. And then it lasted a longer. And then finally, someone from the back of the group said, Teacher, the boy who believes in the Holy Spirit isn't here. I guess you might have to know the Apostles' Creed in order for that to hit home. But uh, uh, so, so I guess the question is, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? You don't have to answer that. Uh, but, uh, but maybe after last week and this week and next week, I, I hope that you will have a clearer picture not only of, of who the Holy Spirit is, but what he wants to do uh, in and through our lives. Uh, sometimes it's been called in years gone by the Holy Ghost. And uh, I think I have to like go, the Holy Ghost. If I use that terminology, but uh, uh, days gone by, they would, uh, and, and in the King James uh, uh, version of Scripture, I believe it's, uh, it's uh, the Holy Spirit is mentioned as the Holy Ghost. Uh, we might think it's some weird paranormal sort of uh, occurrence. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's pretty easy to believe in God, um, uh, kind of. I mean, they, they say over 90% of Americans believe that there's a God of some type out there. So, so, uh, whether that's true or not, or they're just, uh, they're just checking that box, I don't know. But, but it seems to be that it's, uh, it's, it's okay or, or easier to believe in God. And, and then you've got Jesus, uh, who is God's son. And we read about the stories of, of Jesus in scripture and, and, uh, and we can relate to, uh, Jesus and, and who he was and, and what he did the Holy Spirit, however, uh, might seem to be a little bit harder to get your mind around. No one's ever seen him. No one's ever touched him. Uh, some have claimed experience with the Holy Spirit that, that seemed to be a bit out there. And so maybe we kind of just shy away from that. Uh, in church circles, uh, we know that the Holy Spirit was given uh, to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Uh, we celebrated that uh, last uh, last Sunday, it was 50 days after uh, after Passover, after Easter, and so every year in the church calendar, uh, Pentecost uh, uh, continues to be celebrated, and so we, we talked about that a little bit last week, uh, but, but the Holy Spirit wasn't just absent until uh, Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is literally, he appears in Genesis 1 verse 2, uh, and from that point on, we see his uh, action and work uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, he's, he's present and active. He inspired people. He gave them words to say. He provided strength to overcome. He gave prophecies to prophets so they could prophesy. Uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit was, was living and active, but, but, but we, so we need to get uh, the kind of this understanding of who he is and, and what he does. And the last week I, I told you that the, the Holy Spirit, we need to realize the Holy Spirit is fully God uh, just because we say he's the third person of the Trinity. We talked a little bit about the Trinity, that God is one, but we uh, experience him in three different ways. God the Father, God the Son, God the the Holy Spirit. Just because he's the third person doesn't mean he's he's uh, uh, third most important. Uh, that that all three. Uh, uh persons of God are still fully God, and so the Holy Spirit is is fully God. Uh, we also. 
uh, need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, he's, he's not a, an it. He's not just a power that we tap into or the force that we can use for our own, uh, our own wants or needs. He's a, he's a person to be related to. And, and that makes a difference in, in how we, uh, talk about the Holy Spirit and how we recognize His presence and what He's doing in our lives. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really just, I guess if we're, if we're kind of boil it down, the Holy Spirit is, is simply the essence of Jesus who has been given to those who believe. Uh, it's as if Jesus were still here, uh, but he's not here in body anymore. It's just, it's his spirit who is, who is now here uh, with us. And last week we learned that that's better. It's better than, uh, it's actually better to have the Holy Spirit within us than Jesus beside us. And, and we, uh, we, we talked a little bit about that, that Jesus, uh, when he was here on earth, was confi- confined to one place and one time and as physical nature. But now the Spirit can, can not only be with us, but also within us and, and literally uh, everywhere all at once. And so it's better. We have the very power of God, the presence of God, the person of God that dwells within us. Now, maybe you're, uh, you're sitting there and you go, yeah, yeah, I grew up in church and I kind of know all this, preacher. Uh, you kind of, kind of get into the basics here. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it is. I don't know. In, in reality, maybe I'm not going to tell you anything new, uh, over these few weeks. Uh, but I resonate with, uh, with, um, theologian and author and pastor A.W. Tozer, uh, out of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. Um, he, he wrote a little, he wrote a lot of stuff, um, but he wrote a little book called, uh, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and in that, he, he says this, and, and, and I resonate with it as I, uh, attempt to preach about the Holy Spirit. He says, I don't hope to tell you very much that is new. I only hope to set the table for you, arranging the dishes a little better and a little more attractively so that you'll be tempted to partake. Many of us have grown up on the theology that accepts the Holy Spirit as a person, even as a divine person, but for some reason, it never did us any good. We are empty as ever. We are joyless as ever. We are as far from peace as ever. We are as weak as ever. What I want to do is to tell you the old things, but while I'm doing it, to encourage your heart to make them yours now and to walk into the living, throbbing, vibrant heart of them so that from here on, your life will be altogether different. I, I, I want these times, uh, every time I guess we meet, but as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I, I, don't, I, I, I want you to not just say, oh, that's theological stuff, and yeah, I got it, thanks. But I want us to not just learn about the Holy Spirit, but to know the Holy Spirit. So last week, uh, a few things, uh, we talked about a few things that the Holy Spirit does. Uh, he, he advocates for us and he teaches us and he convicts us. And he's also described in scripture as a counselor and a comforter and a guide and a friend and a helper. He provides cleansing from sin. He intercedes for us, praying for us when we don't know how to pray. Scripture tells us he, uh, scripture talks about that the Holy Spirit fills us and he baptizes us, that he's been poured out. Uh, we could spend a lot of time going into the intricacies of all of those things on the Holy Spirit's resume. Uh, but, but I believe that the saying is true most of the time that a picture is worth a thousand words. And so scripture has given us some images to help us understand a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And, and so, uh, today and next week, we're going to look a little bit at some of these images and from those images, uh, figure out what, what it is that the Holy Spirit does and, and how that's important. 
And again, I don't want us to just say, oh yeah, that's cool, great, and then go off on our merry way. But that we could truly allow the Spirit, that we could taste and see that the Lord is good, that we can enter into and experience more of the Holy Spirit. So the first image is fire. Oh, there it is. Oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Uh, One thing you need to know is that fire consumes. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, the presence of God is symbolized as fire uh, many times. Uh, God was present in the burning bush. Maybe you've read the story of Moses, and and he's a shepherd, and he encounters this bush, and it's burning on the backside of a mountain, and but it doesn't burn up, and he goes over to it, and God speaks to him out of the out of the burning bush. And so there's this image of of God as fire, uh, clear back in the book of Exodus, and then later on in that same book, uh, Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he is he is a pillar of fire. Uh, and, and so at nighttime, this, this glowing uh, pillar of fire is leading them. And, and when the pillar stopped, they stopped. And when the pillar went on, they went on. And God was encounter, God encountered his people uh, it, with this uh, image of fire. In, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist uh, described Jesus to the people, uh, saying that one day Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then on the day of Pentecost, which I've already referenced today, the Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire. Uh, so, so, so what is the significance of the Holy Spirit as fire? First is that the fire consumes. We used to have in our old house, we had a wood-burning fireplace. And I was always surprised at how much wood we would go through with just one fire. Uh, I'd get all, everything all arranged and, and get it all set and, and, uh, then sit back for a, for a nice warm evening, uh, with the fire running, uh, you know, in the, in the living room there. And then it seemed like no time before I'd have to add another log or two. And because the fire just kept burning things up, right? That's just kind of what fire does. Uh, it consumed the fuel, the wood that we'd put in there. I, I think I talked to you a little bit about this on, uh, on the, during the Ash Wednesday service this year, but, but in that old house, uh, there was a little trap door inside the fireplace. Maybe you have this in your house, I don't know, but uh, uh, you'd open up that little trap door and use a little brush and you could brush all the ashes down and they just kind of disappear. Well, when we first moved in, I figured out that there's this little uh, thing built into the base of the chimney down in the basement and there was a little iron, uh, I don't know, little door you could open in the basement and I didn't know what in the world that was and so I opened that door and lo and behold there's all these ashes in there um I quickly closed that door because I didn't know what in the world to do with all those ashes except to leave them there and uh, we lived there over 11 years and I never opened that door again (laughs) so uh so who knows how much wood had been consumed over the years in that uh, in that little fireplace, just turning it to to ash. Fi- that's one thing that fire does. That's a, kind of the point. It's one of the main things that it does. We see the destruction that it causes as we as we look at uh, wildfires uh, that, that that pop up around the country. Uh, if fire consumes. God is described as a consuming fire. Clear back in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the, in the Bible, uh, in that passage, uh, it's, it's emphasizing God's jealousy and God's judgment. He doesn't want his people to, to, to sin, uh, by following other gods. And so, uh, he, he's described as a consuming fire. Several other times that, that, uh, that term is, is used to describe God, and it's always about consuming sin. So we see the Holy Spirit as a consuming fire, and that helps us to see his attitude towards sin and his desire to destroy that sin in our lives, to consume it. 
He doesn't want to consume us. He uh, just wants to consume anything in our lives that doesn't look like him. And that's why the author of Hebrews tells us, it was in that, uh, that video there a few minutes ago, uh, the author of Hebrews says, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is not to be taken lightly. We must treat him with the same respect that we would treat a fire. Fire consumes. Another thing fire does is that it purifies. Uh, back in the day, if, uh, if someone had an injury, uh, a lot of times they would do something called cauterize. Maybe they still do that today. I don't know. I haven't had any uh, uh, injuries requiring cauterization. Five-syllable word. That's the second one this morning, right? Sunday school? Yeah. All right. Uh, they would. They, you take something hot and you uh, you sear the wound basically, and it it not only uh, cleanses that wound but also kind of uh, sears it uh, closed so that it can begin to to heal and kills the infection. Uh, they'd also uh, and and uh, they they'd use uh, the instruments they were going to use for surgery. Uh, many times they'd place them in a flame in order to get rid of anything that any germs or anything. They would sterilize it with flame. Uh, fire is also used uh, to uh, to to purify precious metals. They, they heat them up to the boiling point and then, then all the uh, imperfections uh, kind of bubbles to the top and is on the top and then they skim that off the top and so the fire uh, helps to purify uh, that uh, those precious metals. The, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit brings purity, rids us of sin, and makes us more like God. Uh, there's, a, there's a story in, in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is, is uh, in the process of being called to be a prophet and he has this big huge vision and he's in this room and and God is is there and his robes are flowing and there's these these uh, these angel type beings flying around and worshiping God and and, and Isaiah says oh I'm unclean my lips are unclean and one of the uh, one of the angel uh, beings there uh, goes to the altar and grabs a live coal it says and uh touches his lips and then he says in Isaiah 6 7 see this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for in that imagery in that vision uh, Isaiah was purified through fire fire purifies another thing fire does maybe we don't think about much but fire can soften uh, I recently saw an episode of, of This Old House uh, where, uh, where they were showcasing the craft of blacksmithing or uh, ironwork. Uh, it's still a thing. People still, still do that. You got to have the wrought iron railings or, or big gates or, or furniture, those kinds of things. And, and so it, uh, it's still, uh, it, the best way to create that is still with this hot, hot, hot fire and with hand tools and with hard work. <laughs> and uh, go ahead and uh, Start that video, and I'll just kind of talk over it maybe while that's playing. Uh, just uh, just some some images of uh, of of people working with metal. They say that a good blacksmith's fire is around thirty five hundred degrees, and, and that fire uh, is what makes all the difference. They stick a, uh, a, a piece of solid iron into that. and in the hands of a master craftsman, what had been just an old piece of metal becomes a work of art or a useful tool. It's a partnership between the fire and the master craftsman. And it's a picture of what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives 
as well. When the fire of the Holy Spirit invades our hearts, he softens us to the things of God. And it allows us to be molded and to be shaped by the master craftsman. Shaped into a work of art. Shaped into a useful tool. Allowing ourselves to continue to experience the fire of the Holy Spirit keeps us in a place where we are moldable. Are you moldable? Are you, when you encounter the Holy Spirit, do you bristle up and push him away? Or do you succumb to the fire of the Holy Spirit so that he can mold and shape you how he wants to do it? The Holy Spirit's influence softens and shapes us. Another thing that, that the Holy Spirit does is that he strengthens us. Uh, the, 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 in working with metal, the term is to temper, right? Uh, the, the certain metals are heated and then quickly cooled. They actually become stronger than they were before. Uh, they, they've been tempered. They've been hardened. They've been strengthened through the process. And a huge effect of the Holy Spirit in our lives is, is strength and power. It's what Jesus promised uh, to the disciples in the book of, book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem. Uh, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power for what? Uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Power to witness, power to be bold and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus wherever they went. Uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit brought that power. In 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks about power that comes from God as well. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So the Holy Spirit provides strength and power to overcome evil influences in the world where we live. Also in the in, in his letter to the Ephesians, the, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 18 to 20, talking about this power again, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Divine power, the same power that raised raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is in the Holy Spirit uh, that, 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 that is, is accessible for us who believe. Uh, Peter uh, spoke about it in his letter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for living a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The power of God enables us to live godly Lives. The image of the Holy Spirit as fire signifies that power that we allow ourselves to, uh, we allow ourselves to be strengthened by His presence in our lives. Up to this point, we've talked about uh, changes that fire makes. It purifies, it softens, it strengthens, it consumes, and all of that's a little bit dramatic, right? And, and it even sounds like it might hurt a little bit, right? Uh, one other thing that I think we need to recognize is that fire warms and cheers. And the Holy Spirit, uh, with the Holy Spirit, we have the picture of a warm fire on a cold night, or maybe a campfire, or maybe the fire ring you have in your, in your backyard. It's the place, uh, it's kind of the gathering point, the place where you want to be, the place where conversations happen, the place where the stories are told, the place where you linger. Fire isn't, isn't always this big destructive force in our lives, but the Holy Spirit is also described as our comforter and our encourager. And maybe that image of fire can help us understand that a little bit as well.
He not only roots out sin and evil, he not only convicts us and purifies us, he also brings encouragement, comfort, and peace. The Holy Spirit is fire. Another image, and usually if we're describing the Holy Spirit or talking about the Holy Spirit, the, the easiest way to do it is, uh, is with the picture of a dove. And, uh, and, and that comes uh, straight from Scripture. All four Gospels uh, refer to the Holy Spirit being present in the form of a dove uh, during the baptism of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was, uh, was baptized by John in the Jordan River, and in, in Matthew chapter 3, and in Mark chapter 1, and in Luke chapter 3, and in John chapter 1, it's all described, and, and Luke says it this way, the Holy Spirit came down in a bodily shape like a dove on him, uh, emphasizing that, that this wasn't just a vision that John had or, or some flowery language that he was using. Uh, the Holy Spirit is spirit, certainly, uh, and not usually visible, but on this occasion, there seemed to be the need to display a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit that could be seen by other people around. And so then I have to ask the question, well, why a dove? Uh, I guess I'll take a few stabs at it and um, looking to Scripture to see why, uh, why that would be important. The dove is an emblem of purity, and uh, and harmlessness. Uh, Matthew ten sixteen uh, talks about uh, as, as something uh, about being in, as innocent as doves. And so there was this connotation of doves being this this innocent, pure thing, a, a part of the symbolism of of emphasizing the the purity and in, in, innocence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit uh, characterized uh, the the Spirit of Jesus, right? And so so uh, so as he lived on earth, he was he was pure and holy. Another place we see a dove uh, in prominence in Scripture is the story of Noah, the guy with the big boat and all the animals. You remember him. And, uh, and, and at the end, the water, the flood comes, and, and uh, then the waters are receding. And, and at one point, Noah sends out a dove, and he comes back. The dove comes back with, uh, with an olive branch in its mouth. And you all know uh, that, uh, that that image uh, over the centuries has been known to be an image of peace, um, it's the image of a, of a dove represents the spirit of God bringing the good news of peace and reconciliation between God and humanity. As, as this dove, the spirit rested on Jesus, he's emphasizing this message of peace with God. Another thing I think is important is that doves were, were, uh, were sacrifices. Uh, people used doves, would sacrifice doves as part of, of their, their worship to God. Uh, Jesus' parents, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph, they sacrificed two doves uh, when they dedicated Jesus in the temple. Uh, when the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus at his baptism, it uh, could very well be that he was preparing the way for Jesus and emphasizing Jesus' sacrifice. Immediately after uh, his baptism, if you read any of those uh, passages, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert for a time of testing and a time of sacrifice, a time of self-denial. When the Holy Spirit enters our lives, we, we need to realize that, that, that He is the way that we can experience peace with God. Uh, he is pure and innocent, and He calls us to a life of sacrifice and surrender, uh, following not only our own ambitions, but but the desires of God for our lives. The Holy Spirit uh, is a dove. One more, uh, I think, that we have time for today. Um, just so you know, uh, maybe you know this, you probably do. Uh, what does it mean when the, the, the preacher says one more or in conclusion? 
absolutely nothing. That's what it means. Uh, so just so you know, don't get your hopes up. We're not done yet. I'm just, I'm just, just, just laying you out there. No. The, the Holy Spirit as air. Uh, and two different, two different parts here. Uh, one is breath. Breath represents life. If something is breathing, it's alive. No breath, no life, right? After, after Claire was born, uh, I, I remember looking in on her a lot. She's just an infant, and those of you that have, uh, have been parents uh, of, of infants uh, maybe relate to this, but I was always looking in on her to make sure she was okay. And, and you'd kind of listen, uh, the baby monitor thing's going, you know, and, and uh, still breathing, hope she's, you know... And uh, you'd look in, and, and the bassinet's right at the foot of the bed, wake up in the middle of the night, and is maybe, okay, well, I don't hear anything, so get up and kind of look in. After she moved from the, she was literally in the very next, steps away in the next room, and, and yet uh, yet I'd peek in sometimes, and sometimes she'd be so swaddled up that you couldn't really uh, see the, uh, you know, her chest moving up and down, and and so I'd tiptoe in by the crib, and I'd listen close, and then I'd I'd bend in, and I'd listen even more, and, and sometimes I, I might even try to feel her breath on my face, right, because I knew that breath meant life. John 20, verse 22, Jesus talking to his disciples after his resurrection, and it says that he breathed on them, and when he did, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's this image of, uh, of breath or, or, or life coming uh, through the Spirit from Jesus. In, in Genesis 2, 7, we see that God breathed life into Adam uh, by his very breath. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. In Ezekiel 37, the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying to these, ah, it's a weird passage, but, uh, there's these bones in the, in the valley and he's prophesying to the bones and, and, uh, and, and, uh, basically he's, he's, uh, wanting them to come to life. And later in the passage, God explains to Ezekiel uh, the meaning of what he's witnessed and, and he says, God tells him, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. Uh, Ezekiel not only prophesied to the bones, he prophesied to the breath that would fill those 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 bodies, and and, and God described it as His Spirit that would would fill and would make them live. Breath is life. The Holy Spirit is life, spiritual life. He is literally the life of God within us. And just as a, a baby's lungs are cleared of fluid after it's born and it breathes deeply of that dry air of life for the first time, we need to breathe in deeply the life and presence of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit is like air. Another way the Holy Spirit is like air that we see in Scripture is wind. Uh, and, and, and it's... It, it's uh, Associated a number of times in Scripture with with the Spirit, we we read in in Acts chapter two uh, that the, on the day of Pentecost, not only was it tongues of fire, but there was this blowing of a violent wind that accompanied the arrival of the Holy Spirit. In John three eight, Jesus also used that term. He says, "The wind blows wherever it goes, wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit." The Holy Spirit, uh, as wind, I think emphasizes uh, his mystery to an extent. It also emphasizes his power. We've talked about that a little bit. Uh, having lived for over 10 years in the great state of Kansas, uh, I'm well aware of the power of wind. 
Uh, my wife uh, has always been afraid of uh, tornadoes, and especially uh, when she was younger, one of the things she told God was that she would not live in Kansas. She also said she wouldn't marry a preacher, or, and she also said she would never teach in an inner city school. She stopped telling God what she will or will not do, uh, because all of those things uh, have happened. But uh, so we lived in Kansas. We were never in a in a tornado, but uh, definitely we didn't. Believe it or not, we didn't have. Uh, we lived in three different places, I guess, in, in three different houses there in Kansas, and didn't have a basement in, in any of them. Uh, and so we we took the dog and the cat and the kids and went to the church basement several different times, knowing that uh, that a storm was about to uh, to blow through. Uh, Wind has tremendous power. Uh, it can do significant damage. It can uh, to uh, to trees, to property, to people. Uh, a pastor friend of mine experienced the power of wind when a tornado uh, struck uh, in Hoisington, Kansas, where he served in April of 2001. It destroyed his house, which was the church parsonage. Uh, it destroyed much of the town. We took a, a team of students there to, to 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 help them do some of the cleanup. Um, Sobering, sobering time. Uh, I mean, it was amazing. I don't know if you've been. I've seen it on on uh, on TV and and see the destruction of of uh, what a what a tornado can do. But it's nothing compared to walking or driving those streets and seeing roofs just gone and foundations where houses were uh, just a, a a little while before. And <laughs> um, Don, my friend, uh, told me a little bit about that night and and his experience there. Uh, he said that his family literally they didn't have enough time. Uh, I don't know the storm took a turn or whatever. They didn't have enough time to literally to get to the basement, and so uh, they they went into this small coat closet in their front hall, what had been their front front hallway. And uh, and and Don is um, he's not a small man. And so uh, uh, his his wife and his teenage daughter are in the closet, and Don can't fit into the closet. And so he stood over them uh, with his back to the fury of the storm. And uh, he told me that he was uh, thanking the Lord after that, that aside from a few bruises, the worst thing that, that he experienced after the storm uh, passed was, uh, in his words, a monster wedgie. <laughs> so... Uh, the wind, wind has power, significant power. I, I don't want you to get the impression that the Holy Spirit whips through our lives like a tornado, <laughs> destroying everything in its path. Uh, the Holy Spirit has power to destroy sin. Uh, he gives us power to overcome and to, to face pressures and trials in life. He gives us power to overcome the uh, the hurdles and the obstacles that are that are in front of us. Uh, so many times, I think we we don't ask for, or acknowledge, or even believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe maybe it's a little bit like harnessing a tornado to do the work of God. But just like fire, wind doesn't have to be destructive. Wind brings comfort on a hot day. Many times wind has a cleansing quality to it. A, a hot, musty room can be cleansed by a good cross breeze, right? You, you lift the windows and Waste and debris can be blown away, uh, cleaned up by the wind. I have benefited greatly in the fall uh, when the wind takes care of my raking for me. The, the Holy Spirit, like a, like a mighty wind, has power to, to root out sin in our lives, also to purify us, to cleanse us, and again, to bring 
his encouragement like a gentle breeze. He's like the wind. He's like the, the air that we breathe. Maybe, maybe those images help us a little bit today to, uh, to, to take another step toward understanding who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he does and what it's like when he does what he does. The Holy Spirit is like fire. He's like a dove. Uh, he's like breath and wind. In saying that, in saying all that, we're basically saying that he brings peace and he purifies and he softens and he strengthens and he brings life and he's a powerful force and at times he's a gentle presence. All of those images are scattered throughout scripture so that we can better understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he can, what he can do. But again, I don't want us to just learn about the Holy Spirit today. I want us to know the Holy Spirit. I want us to experience his power, his life, his cleansing, his comfort. Have you experienced his power and his his presence and his cleansing and his comfort? You can. <laughs> I think maybe uh, we, we think that living in the, in the power of the Spirit is just for the super spiritual people. That's not God's intention. His intention is that we all would live uh, in, in the Spirit, so filled, so locked in, so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he would direct every step of our lives. Again, A.W. Tozer in that, in that little book says this, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition, edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. So how do we... How do we do? I think a big part of that is that we get out of the way. We surrender. I, I think I said it last week at some point. If, if you're filled with yourself, you can't be filled with the Spirit. It takes humility and surrender. Two words that we don't necessarily like to talk about much. Grab a hold of, of one or more of those images today. Mull it over. I, I think the Spirit can, can use uh, any of those things. And he might be talking to, to, to someone with, with, with one of those images and one of those aspects of those images and someone else with another and someone else with another. And, and as, we, as we meditate on that and as we, as we mull it over, fire or, or a dove or, or uh, breath and wind, uh, let God speak to you through that. And let go of whatever might be holding you back, what, what, you're, what you're holding on to, saying, I... I want this more than I want the Spirit. God forbid. We have to surrender to the Holy Spirit so that he can be that, that, that power in our lives, so that he can be that, that, that cleansing force in our lives, so that he can be that encouragement and that, that, that comforter in our lives and, and all the rest that we talked about. It takes surrender. Father God, I pray that you would do your work in our lives. Lord, we don't... Even with these images and things, we don't quite fully understand all of this. But we pray for your anointing and for your grace and for your spirit's presence in our lives. Lord, I pray that, that maybe, uh, maybe today, maybe in the days ahead, as you, as you use these, these images and these scriptures to speak to us, Lord, I, I pray that we can encounter you perhaps in ways we never have before, that we can, we can begin to understand you more and more than just understanding, but that we can begin to experience you in, in deeper ways than maybe we've ever thought of. Lord, I pray that you would help us to surrender in humility to get out of the way so that you can melt us and mold us and fill us and use us. 
all fresh on us, we pray. 